This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is August 23rd, 2022. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. Uh, my name is Barbara Lyons, now Ennis, and I was at the station from 1982 to 1986. Okay. Uh, do you remember what shows or programs you worked on? Sure, I did. Well, everybody had to do classical mm-hmm. torture. Uh, jazz. I was the PSA announcer for reggae. Uh, New Age Images, which I created with Walter Ennis. Uh, New Age music was kind of big in the 85, 86 area, and I really liked the music, so we decided to create the show. So we'd like play the music, and it was always very soothing. And then we'd like put frog noises in there and crickets, and it was kind of cool, very relaxing. And that was an evening weeknight show, correct? We only did it once a week oh, when okay. we started it. I don't know if they may have expanded it after we left, but I'm pretty sure we only did it one day a week. So that was okay. pretty much all we could handle because we were so busy. Got it. Got it. Um, did you work on any of the, the weekend programs, any of the community service programs? Um, I'm sure I subbed in for some times because we always had to have somebody there to do the radio announcements. I mean, I remember being there with the Irish guy, Tony. Tony Jackson. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I remember the Swedish guy was Uh, there. That was Sweet Olsen? Sweet Olsen, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then John Mike was the reggae guy that I got to uh, be announcing for. I'll tell you that story in a little bit. Okay, okay. Did you have any titles or positions at the station? I had... I was the program operations director in 1983-84, and I honestly don't remember exactly what I had to do for that job. I just remember it was kind of boring. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think it involved scheduling and some kind of logs. I remember logs and filling out a lot of paperwork from what I remember. Right. Greg Fennell was the program director, and I think Kathy Pyatt was the station manager. Okay. And then in 85, 86, my senior year, I became program director and Walter was the music director. And that was a great year because we would get so many invitations from the record labels to go see groups in New York City because we were very involved because of Airwave playing early new wave music. So it was WRHU, WLIR, and WNYU were all the big players in the early to mid 80s music. And then it was a magazine that would come out once a week that listed the stations and what they were playing. And at least in our minds, those two were our big competitors. I mean, I remember one day hearing Malibu Sue, who was a DJ on WLIR, claim on the air that they were the only ones playing this new wave music. And I called her right up and straightened her out because <laughs> <laughs> she was like, oh, you know, we're, we're commercial. So that's what counts. I'm like, okay. But it, the music was really a huge part of my junior and senior year there because the early 80s, mid 80s music was just amazing. And LIR was like different than anything else that was around there. And Airwave was playing basically the same music. So between the bands that would come to Hofstra and the fact that we were so close to the city, it was just an amazing music time. That sounds like a lot of fun. I'm, I'm prof- I, I, I lived through a pretty good time with Airwave, but I'm, I'm pretty jealous of that, that time period. So uh, I'll have to grab more stories out of you for there. Um, I was going to make note of the program operations director. 
that was the person in charge of like the tape programs that would go on for community service and uh, evergreens and things like that. So uh, it's, it's, it's not a glamorous job, but um... definitely not. <laughs> definitely not glamorous. It, it is important. Kinda, it would kind of work that way back then. It was like you had to do that if you wanted to go for program director. So right. you just kind of do it and hopefully move on to better things. There was a, a big wall in the basement office in Memorial Hall that had all the the tapes lined up for, you know, if someone couldn't make a show or if there, you needed something for classical or variations, there'd be something up there. But, uh, but that's beside the point. It's getting, I just remember a lot of paperwork. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, when you were on the air, did you use your own name? Did you have any nicknames or aliases? No, I just, I was just Barbara. Okay. Um, so, so now's the point where we ask that question. What was it that first brought you to the station? And if you could describe what it was like, where it was, maybe people that you met when you first arrived at the station. Well, I was a communications major with a minor in English and I was mostly interested in TV, but part of the curriculum included radio announcing and engineering. And I don't remember if it was the second semester freshman year or the first semester sophomore year that I took my first radio announcing class. I remember it was taught by Kit Hunt, and part of the requirement was to do some actual announcing shifts. So I think Kathy Pyatt gave us a tour of the studio, and my now husband, Walter, may have mentioned during his interview, but he saw me on that tour and told Kathy that he, she had assigned me to the shows that he was engineering for, which <laughs> I didn't find out till later. So long story short, we dated my junior and senior year and stayed together after college. And then we got married in 1990. And many of our radio station friends were at the wedding. Margot Diekman, Lori Gale Cates, who they were both actually bridesmaids for me. Timmy McDonald, Matt Swayhoover walked me down the aisle. So it was kind of like a little reunion. It was nice. So thanks to Walter, my first announcing shows were for John Mike's reggae show on Sunday afternoons and then the jazz show on Friday afternoons. So Matt Swayhoover was the official host for jazz. Walter was the engineer, and then I was the news PSA person. Because back then, we used to have one of those AP machines outside the studio, Mm -hmm. and we were responsible for reading the news that came in certain times during the hour. Then we had to watch the machine and tear off the paper, read it, mark up what we needed to talk about. Plus, there was also some PSAs that somebody at the station wrote that we had to read as well. So it's mostly what I started doing because it was part of the class. And uh, I remember the PSAs were, some of them were just awful. There was this one about Agent Orange that I had to read. And I think Matt read it with me because it was like three pages long. And we just started laughing halfway through it because this thing was so long. We just couldn't stop laughing with really Jeff Krause was not amused, but we thought it was pretty funny. <laughs> wow. That's both hilarious and terrible at the same time. I know. Um, it's a bad laughing, but it was just ridiculous. Whoever wrote it should have been smacked in the head. Wow. I, I guess it was some sort of organization to help veterans who were affected right. by Agent Orange? I think it, it like explained what it was and then what you could do. And it, it just went on forever. It was awful. Sounds like someone in the continuity department either didn't go through the material quickly enough or they thought they were being very thorough. I don't know. but uh, Very thorough. Wow. So um, when I started, the office was upstairs in Memorial Hall, 
and the TV and radio stations were both in the basement. And I was amazed when we went back for, I guess it was the 50th reunion, and we saw the station the way it is now. I mean, it's just so different from what we had. I mean, we had a main studio where the engineering and announcing was done, but it also held all the records that we owned, except for the classical ones. Those were in another room that doubled as Carl Bucking's office because he was in charge of classical programming. Mm-hmm. And there was the four-track studio, which had like a little adjacent room with a couch that you just really didn't want to sit on. <laughs> and uh, an editing room that doubled as a classroom. And like that was it. It was very cozy and pretty dark. So the office was one big room with several desks. And of course, Jeff Krauss was you know right in the middle of it. And then I think the office moved down to the basement my senior year. And that was an even smaller room than what we had upstairs. So it was Jeff, Dave Bolander, who was the station manager, um, then like the announcing director, the engineering person. Walter had a separate little tiny office down the hall with all his music stuff. But uh, then all the you know, staff would come and hang out throughout the day because you know, that was the hangout place. Right. So it was really, we were really on top of each other. <laughs> so that's what, uh, that's, that was the setup when I left. Okay. So the, the on-air studio, that was, that was down the ramp, right? You had to go down sort right. of a, a ramp. Right, the ramp. Yes. Past the restaurant. down the ramp. The little AP machine was in the hallway. Mm-hmm. The studio was right there. And then there was a little announcing booth right across from it. You could see each other from engineering into the announcing booth. And then the, Four track was right next to it with the room with the scary couch and then right. Carl Bucking's room with all the classical stuff. And then there was just a small room with editing equipment. And that's where most of our classes were when we had to learn how to edit. Okay. So the, the thing that brought you to the station was this, uh, it was a four credit course taught by Kid Hunt. Yeah. This wasn't a volunteer thing. Like you just showed up, you were interested in radio. No, no, no. I was a communications major. Broadcasting was my track. I didn't want anything to do with journalism. I wanted TV. I wanted the glamorous TV thing, you know? Mm. Um, And so at some point, we had to take History of Radio, which was also taught by Kit Hunt. Um, And that's where you learn all about Macaulay or whatever his name was that started radio. (laughs) (laughs) You can tell how much I remember. Um, and then you got to do the funner stuff, which was, you know, you got to learn to do the announcing and then it was part of the class requirement. You had to do it. And it was a great way for the station to like get new blood in. Right. Because, you know, when it's required, you know, all of a sudden you have people there who they may want to be there, they may not, but at least it was new people to fill in slots because filling slots was, you know, the constant, I wouldn't say battle, but challenge. Especially yeah. like during the summer, I had a, I ended up staying at Hofstra one summer and Jeff got me, I said, I'll stay and I'll help you run the station, but you have to get me a free room. My parents aren't going to pay for a room over the summer. And he did. That's how desperate he was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I stayed there all summer and boy, I did a lot of, I did a lot of slots that summer because it's, you know, everybody's away. Everyone goes back home and then, you know, during breaks and Nobody wanted to do the classical, but you were kind of forced to in the morning because that was like started, I think, at 6 a.m. And it went to like 11. And then and then there was other programming and then jazz was in the afternoon and airway was at night. Hmm. Um, 
Yeah, the six sounds early for for the classics, but uh, you know th- things changed over time. I, I know at one point they weren't even signing on until the afternoon. But uh, when I was there in the early '90s, classics usually started at nine, but just the same. It's, no, it's... I'm pretty sure it started earlier because it would be broadcast out um, at the end of the Unispan. Right. You'd walk down the Unispan; it was broadcast from there. That was uh, President James Stewart's favorite thing. Was that classical? It's the main reason we did it. He insisted on it. Right, right. Uh, but I wanted to get back to that that class. When when you're taking that class with Kit Hunt, were you aware of the radio station before that? And did you have any interest in radio? I mean, you mentioned TV, but that's no, you know, it's really, different things. I was really more a TV person. I really didn't think about radio. I mean, I was broadcast generally, but I just knew more about the TV department than I did about the radio department because they didn't really... It was such a like a low key kind of kept to itself kind of thing with radio, mm-hmm. whereas TV, the, I forget the guy who was the chairman back then, but he knew how to promote his department, whereas Jeff was like, did not want to get involved in anything political. So the TV guy would fight for stuff and Jeff basically wouldn't as much because he knew that he wasn't going to get it over the TV and they got the first big, beautiful building. Um, and then they finally, I guess, came through for radio there. But um, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't until I really, I mean, it was literally down in the basement to the side. So, mm-hmm. I mean, unless you really wanted to do radio, it wasn't something that jumped out at you. I remember one, uh, I think it was when I was program operations director or program director, they used to have a thing in the beginning where all the clubs would show up and get people to join. And we did it. And we took every record that we didn't want to play on the air and we just gave them out. So we got a lot of people that way. That was fun. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's that's an incentive to bring people in. Um, so so you get assigned uh, through nefarious, you know, means there. But Walter gets you assigned to staff <laughs> announces jazz show and and the reggae show. Um was there any specific other training at the station or was it just sort of, you know, show up and do the thing? No, we had to take, we had to take an engineering class and you had to pass a test so you could get, I think it was an FDC or something like that. little license I used to carry around my wallet. It was just a paper. I don't even think you guys have to do that anymore, but it was a piece of paper that said I was basically allowed to engineer at the station and then announcing what I remember is if you were in the class, you didn't have to take the station uh, t- teaching Okay. because you were learning it in the class. But if you came in like off the street, they would, they would have you do, you know, some training. It wasn't very involved, but because again, we needed people, mm-hmm. <laughs> so we weren't going to be very picky. But yeah, you did have to, I remember the engineering, I was so nervous because you had to pass a test in order to get this license paper. But but it seems like you passed it and you went on to get combo cleared? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. I mean, it wasn't terribly complicated back then. It was literally these large knobs and you would turn it up to bring the music up. And then if, to preview, you would turn it down and it would click and go a little bit lower and then you'd like pre play up your song and then just kind of let it go. What's, what terrified me was the four track. 
because eventually you had to take the Fortrack class and I'm not an engineering person in any way. That was Matt and Walter. They were brilliant at it. I was just sort of the voice and just learning that was just sort of, it was just terrifying to me. I think I eventually did it because I remember I had to do two, two things for the class where one I talked about, I had to do an Indian, why the Indians worship cows. I don't mm. know why I had to do that, but that's what I ended up with. So you had to like bring the music in and then you had to have some sound effects. So, and then two other assignments that we had, we had to go out and we had to interview people on the campus and then put together, edit something and make it like a, like a special that they would play on the air. <laughs> so I think I asked people if they knew who Prince was and if they knew who Madonna was. And I got a, a lot of different answers. It was pretty funny. And then you'd have to put, like, cut the music in during it, like in between people. So that was probably the most challenging thing for me was the whole four track thing. Hmm. But actually doing the board wasn't terrible. Okay. Um, I, I shudder to think at, at, at the students who didn't know Prince or Madonna at that time. But that's a story for another time, I'm sure. I'll go off on some tangents here. Well, I'd, I'd, I'd search out people like just to get some funny answers in it. Okay. Okay. Um, do you remember getting on the air the first time? Do you remember being a staff announcer or anything from those early days getting behind the mic? Well, the reggae was definitely my first announcing assignment. It was on Sunday afternoons, I think from like three to four or something. And Walter was a huge reggae fan, so he was always there. And then John Mike was the host. And it was really difficult because... He had a very heavy Jamaican accent, so I had generally no idea what he was saying hmm. most of the time. But what I had to do, I had to read the news and the PSAs, and then we would have to do the station IDs at certain points, I believe. And then he would always say, now we go to the resident lions. <laughs> he did it every <laughs> single time. And then, so I did that for a while, and then I, I think jazz came pretty soon after that. And that was awesome because it was Walter, Matt, and I. We were like the three musketeers. We just clicked and hung out all the time. And it was a Friday. We had the Friday afternoon slot. So it was like a nice end of the week thing. That was like the ones that I remember starting. There probably were other things, but those were the two that stick in my head. Hmm. But it sounds like you had enough fun, that there was enough reason to come back, that once the class was over, you stuck with the station. Oh, Yeah. It was just a lot more comfortable than TV. It was far less competitive than TV. Um, I mean, Jeff, Jeff Krause, he, he was such an interesting man. You would try so hard to get him to compliment you. It was like almost impossible. But he was great because he just had this dry, sarcastic sense of humor. And he would just come out with these things and... <laughs> It was just, you know, correct me up. We, Walter, Matt, and I would like do these stupid pranks. Mm -hmm. and some of them I can't tell you because the university still doesn't know that we did them. But <laughs> there was one where we took a for sale sign out of somebody's yard and we put it in Jeff Krause's yard like his house was for sale. Oh, no. <laughs> he was really annoyed by that one. So we would just do stupid things like that. And, and then like the next group would come in from the next year like the new freshmen sophomores and 
you know, you would start helping them go and you could see who had talent and who would have a shot at maybe, you know, doing it professionally. And we just hung out all the time, pretty much. And then, like I said, we would go to concerts all the time. Yeah, that sounds like a, a lot of fun. I, I guess you felt pretty comfortable socially there between Walter and Matt. It sounds like you had uh, an instant group there. Who else was around uh, that helped you feel comfortable in your early days? Early days? Hmm. I mean, when I was program operations director, Greg Fennell, I think, was the program director. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was helpful. He's an interesting guy. Uh, Mike D'Antonio, I remember being at the station, and he was always very friendly. Um, but it was mostly the three of us, I would say. I mean, Jeff was always there as a presence, obviously. But I really think, you know, and then Kid Hunt, because she was my professor, and she was also very involved in the station, and she and Jeff were like best friends. Hmm. So she was always there to, you know, help or criticize or help you do better. I wanted to double back for a second because you, you mentioned doing these these pranks with Jeff. And I guess at some point you were close enough with him or familiar enough that, that you could do these things. But he yeah, often I gave... Used, I used to have to house sit for him. Okay. He, he would go away for a couple of weeks in the summer. And when I was there, I had to go and house sit. He had a dog. And I was just in this house by myself because his son Owen was with him, I believe, or maybe his mother. But yeah, I think when you become program director or station manager, it's just an automatic. Like I said, you really want to make him happy because he's not a happy person. But, you know, you have to work with him and either you got his humor or you didn't. And I got it. I just thought he was hysterical. Hmm. And I I think he thought I was okay. So (laughs) it worked out. Um, but getting past that, that wall of sort of the, the intimidation and that, that, that stern veneer there, there, uh, uh, were you intimidated by him at first or did you just sort of, because you weren't initially oh, yeah. invest, invested at the station? Yeah. Absolutely intimidated by him. Yeah. I mean, even Kit Hunt, you just were kind of like, cause you knew she was really close to him. So they were both pretty intimidating. <laughs> That's why I don't think I went for a position until my junior year because I was still trying to figure the whole thing out and what the dynamics were and, you know, how how all the staffing and political stuff worked in the station. But Jeff was listening constantly. I mean, I just don't know if that man ever stopped listening because we had it. It was on in the office, so he would hear you throughout the day. And then when he would go home, he'd get a drink and he'd basically sit there and listen. <laughs> so you mm. couldn't get away with too much. You know, if they few by accident had dead air or something, that phone would ring in the studio. It's like, oh, it's Jeff. I know it's Jeff. <laughs> uh, Barbara, what's going on? Like, oh, do I have dead air? <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, you do. Perhaps you should fix that. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, it was stuff like that. But he never yelled at me. He never got mad. I mean, he was annoyed sometimes, but. He was a good guy at the end. He really was. Hmm. Um, speaking of, of, you know, the, the phone ringing and, and, and uh, getting some experience at the station, do you, do you remember a moment or a period of time where you felt comfortable being on the air? I know there was the camaraderie 
uh, with with Matt and with Walter. But was there a point where you were behind the mic or, or on the air and you thought, yeah, I, I really enjoy this. I, I really want to stick with this. Yeah, I mean, I think it was doing the jazz. I mean, I was not a jazz music lover at all. I'm still not. Mm-hmm. But it just wasn't. Maybe because like TV, you're looking at a camera and there's a bunch of people staring at you behind the camera. It's a little more um, nerve wracking. But on radio, you're sitting there in a mic. There's maybe a guy across from you doing engineering or a girl. And it's like you're kind of talking to the air. So it's just not as intimidating as TV. And it wasn't as fast paced as TV. So I was comfortable pretty quickly, I would say. Hmm. Um, we have the benefit of hindsight and these stories and obviously, uh, your, your, your friendships and, and, and your marriage with, with Walter. But, uh, so we, we can look back fondly at this, but I'm, I'm wondering if you kind of alluded to this earlier, but I like to sort of bring things back here. When you first showed up for those announcing shifts, whether it was on Sunday or Friday, um, what did you expect Hofstra Radio to be and, and what did it become? Um, I don't think I had a whole lot of expectations because, like I said, I was just more into the TV track. But I just found it fun and the people were just very accepting. You know, you could be anybody. Everybody was, you know, just a little maybe off center mm-hmm. in the radio station, but that's what made it interesting. It was like the people. People would sort of gravitate there and then get involved in the station. And then they were just sort of part of the family. It's hard to explain, but I mean, the thing that I noticed is that the new station, it sounded like it was pretty rigid as far as, you know, getting on the air and what you had to do. And like I said, we had rules, but we were so desperate for people that we pretty much accepted anybody. And that was nice. And I think you kind of alluded to this before that people would come to the office, whether it was in the upstairs or, or in the basement, that people come and hang out between classes and, and oh, yeah, after all hours. The time. All the time. I like practically lived in Memorial Hall because the cafeteria thing was there. Uh, the station was in the basement and the office was at first in the upstairs and then in the basement. So the only time I would leave is if I had another class that I had to go to that wasn't involving radio at that point. And and so the more time you spent there, the the deeper you got, not only into the into the programming, but into the culture as well. Yeah, I mean, I really thought that I was going to try and become a professional DJ, but as as graduation got closer, I mean, I realized I wanted to stay on Long Island. I wanted to be with Walter, and a lot of it was you would have to move away. You'd have to take the overnight shift. You wouldn't get paid a whole lot of money. And I realized that it, it was I wasn't dedicated enough to make that jump. Mm. I wasn't willing to like put myself out there. So I actually ended up working for uh, a new age music company that was on Long Island. Uh, they were uh, called Vital Body Marketing, and they distributed new age, new age music. So because I had done the show, it actually what opened the door to me to get the job. So I just, you know, it was an entry-level job there. I was there for like two years. And then I ended up in going into the city and I worked for DC Comics for five years. So that was pretty different. You know, Batman, Superman, 
So I handled their subscriptions and their retail products. And then I knew I wanted to have kids and I didn't want to be on the subway, especially during the summer going to the city. So I interviewed and I got a job at Publishers Clearinghouse and I worked there for 19 years. And I pretty much end up basically doing marketing. I do marketing for the company that Walter and I own now. And I took one general business class in Hofstra and it was at, it was a six o'clock class at night, learned nothing, but here I am, I'm supposedly a marketing guru, but I think that the radio station, I mean, opened it up because of the new age images, but also it just, you feel confident when you speak, like public speaking was never really an issue for me, but you just kind of honed your skill at it and so speaking in front of large groups and things like that, I feel like the radio station kind of gave me that um, security that I knew how to do it and I could do it. That makes sense. It it does. It does. I think a lot of us take uh, practical skills, not necessarily the, the radio stuff, but how, how to manage our time and ourselves and other people and, and figure it out from there. Because a lot of us don't necessarily show up at Hofstra radio with the intent of, being DJs, but we learn a lot there, I think. I mean, there was a reunion dinner. I don't know if it was the 50th or it was the first dinner where they started handing out uh, professional awards to like professionals. Mm -hmm. And Darren Smith was getting an award and he works at a Sirius XM. And I remember him walking into the office. He had on, you know, your typical, 80s hair and an 80s outfit and he's like I really like the new wave music and I'm like all right we'll put you on the air because I actually needed somebody for airwave at that point so we kind of moved him through the classes and now he's a professional he does the new wave station at Sirius XM and at the dinner he actually called me out and said that you know, the fact that we were so friendly and that we let him just kind of just go right on the air and just dive into it. He like thanked us because it set him on the path that he wanted to do. So that made me feel good. That kind of summed up at least the feeling that we had back then of the whole family thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's giving, giving people a, not only uh, like we were talking about before about skills and, and practical stuff, but just, just a place to hang out, a place to feel a sense of community. That's, that's yeah. what I think is a strong line that runs through uh, the history of the station. Yeah, we definitely were big hangers on. <laughs> <laughs> well, Barbara, this was fantastic. I've been, I've been uh, really enjoying our conversation and, and I want to thank you so much for sharing your time and your stories. And uh, I'm going to come up with, more questions for round two, but I'm going to come up with specific questions for you about these eighties music shows. I am dying to know. I'm so jealous. Uh, I really want to get, get the goods <laughs> yeah, you there. Should hear the list of, of artists that we saw it was amazing. And, we were and, just talking about it the other day. And, well, we were trying to write down all the ones that all the concerts we'd seen. Uh, I, we had a, quite a few. It was amazing. Bangles was the big one. That was our band. Wow. That was Matt Walter and my band. And we, drove to Pennsylvania and they opened for Cindy Lauper and we saw him there. And then we saw him in the city a whole bunch of times. And then Walter was actually invited. We were invited to go to the press conference with them. This is back when they were still, you know, their first EP. Hmm. So, you know, it was just opportunities like that, that really created some amazing memories. I just really look 
back very fondly on this time. Well, you're making me more and more je- jealous by the minute. I'm, I'm, I can't stand it anymore, but um, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Brian.